Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to go to Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And then I echo pastor and saying how wonderful it is to see everybody here. Amen. Hopefully you had a good time with family or however you typically celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. Amen. Eating lots of food. Praise God. Sleeping it off and then doing it all over again. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Acts chapter 4 verse 11 through 12 says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has come or which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. We've prayed. You can be seated. I um, said, okay, if I take my time this morning, we missed, uh, we missed Wednesday. So I feel like we got to make up an extra 30 minutes. So if I preach for two hours, no, I'm kidding. I don't plan on doing that. I don't, y'all loosen up. I don't plan on doing that. Amen. You already got leftovers at home anyway. You, you ain't got to go nowhere to, to eat. Yeah. Go eat your leftovers. Praise God. But I feel like with, uh, combined with what brother Floyd taught this morning, if you missed it, a great lesson about um, who do we who do we call the Lord? Who am I? Who am I really? Who am I to you? Who is God to you? You know, and and we know that God uses a few different names, and He went through a, uh, a few of them this morning, especially in the Old Testament. He uses a few different names to denote specific aspects of His character, and. I was joking with him afterwards. I said, you know, you were, you were all up in the message for the 11 o'clock service. But I believe God wants to help somebody today and help them understand the power of his name. I know we often, we're people of the name. We're apostolic. We're Holy Ghost filled. We're people of the name. Um, but there may be some in here that don't truly understand the power in his name the power associated with this name and what that name can do for you in your life and how it can change your life. And, you know, you heard testimonies this morning about how God in different ways blessed other people and, and he was their provider. He was, he was there for them. He was, uh, he was their banner, these things. And, and maybe you don't quite know or have a story or a testimony about how he has been that for you. Well, I hope to help you this morning. I believe that God, what God is doing, and again, in the 10 a.m. hour and here in the 11 a.m. hour, will further solidify um, the fact that his name is all-powerful. Even though he has many designations, many Old Testament names and what they called him, the name of Jesus is the name. I was telling my wife some time ago about how I've, I've just paying attention to our modern Christian songs, and a lot of songs have been 
using that name Yahweh in their in their in the songs. Uh, it's become almost like a fad. Um, a lot of Christian songs nowadays employ that name. But I said to my wife, I said, you know, I, I I'm I'm cautious about what they're doing in that music because I never want to forget the name Jesus. I never want to forget the name Jesus. I never want to think that any other name, even if it's mentioned in the Bible, the Bible even says that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus. I understand uh, probably more than most about the power and, and the significance of the name Yahweh, but it does not and never will replace the name Jesus. That is his name. You know, the gift of a name is a theme that plays throughout the entire Bible. And according to my mom, I didn't have a name for about two months. She couldn't quite decide on what to call me, what to name me. Uh, how many parents have been there before? Not really sure what to call, maybe not two months, but <laughs> I, I know Micah was actually almost a Levi, uh, but we, we, settled on Le we settled on Micah uh, for him. And look, I'm confused like Brother, Brother Floyd. <laughs> But we settled on we settled on Micah for him, and then Levi was almost Asher. Um, but we settled on Levi for him. But naming your child is 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 it can be a challenge because this is what they've got to live with for the rest of their life, you know, unless they become those those kind of people who decide to change their name later on in life, their first name later on in life, and you know, call themselves Open Window or something weird like that. You know, I don't I don't know. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a name even after birth for, for, for those two months. And then, um, you know, you know my testimony about how we were in that cult. And my mom went to, after two months, went to the leader of that cult. And then he gave, wrote down my name on a piece of paper and gave it to her. And that's what my name became. My name became Matman. And, you know, the significance of a name cannot be understated. It, it captures the essence of a person. And what's interesting to me, though, is that how... How can we actually find or know the essence of a person when they're an infant? We put so much stake in naming our children to make sure that, that this name sticks, this name means something, but we don't really truly know what their essence is going to be when they grow up. Could it be that it comes from a place of hope that whatever name we decide to give them, they will live up to be that person? You know, people, people nowadays, especially celebrities, will name their children weird things like Blue Ivy, uh, uh, you know, Diamond, you know, Shanene, uh, you know. But there's a reason why people don't name their children Lucifer or Satan. Could you imagine? Lucifer Johnson. Satan Williams. There's a reason people don't name, don't use those names, and we don't use certain things. is because we, we believe and have a hope in, in us that our children will live up to whatever name we decide to call them. The Bible would even go so far as to intentionally note that Adam named all the cattle, the birds of the air, and the beasts, and whatever Adam called them, that's what their name was. And it's here that two very important elements of naming are realized. The first one is that of discernment. It's an important element when you're naming. And the second one is authority. 
You see, Adam had to first discern the characteristics of the animal being named, and then he exercised authority over them by naming them. And so I want to, I know they put this up here. I want to, I want to talk to you today about a name for your need, a name for your need. There are a few notable biblical characters who were specifically called by name for a divine purpose. They were divinely selected for a task. We know that Moses was called by name to deliver his people. Samuel was called by name to be a prophet because the house of Eli had become irredeemable. Isaiah was called from his mother's womb, he says. There's so much power in a name, so much significance in a name. The encounter between God and Jacob, recorded in Genesis chapter 32, is full of divinely inspired symbolism. If you're familiar with this story, this is the story of Jacob and God wrestling. Jacob and God wrestling. There was a, a, a night where Jacob sent his family away just before he met his brother, whom he thought would kill him. But Jacob had an encounter with God. And, you know, preaching and teaching today, traditions have declared that Jacob wrestled with God. But when you read the scriptures, it was actually God who wrestled with Jacob. Look at Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. It says, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This man who Jacob later realized was God was the instigator of the wrestling match. But it was only after Jacob prayed just a few verses before Jacob prayed, deliver me from the hand of my brother. When Jacob asked God for deliverance, I believe in scripture support this, that he asked God for a fight. You see, when God wrestles with us, it's not to kill us. It's to change us. It's to grow us. It's to modify some aspect of us that is not like him. It's to change us to be more like him. God intends to bury that part of us that makes us counter to what he has called us to be. That makes us the opposite of what he has called us to be. God's response suggests that it was not Jacob who needed deliverance from his brother, but rather Jacob needed deliverance from Jacob. Jacob needed deliverance from himself. Jacob needed deliverance from that part of him that was counter to God. Jacob needed deliverance from that part of him that was the opposite of what God had intended for his people and for his, his creation to be. How many of us would be honest today and say that there is a part of us that God needs to wrestle out of us? There's a part of us that God needs to change in order for us to be in line with what it is he has called us to be. That part of us that is in enmity against God, that rebellious part of you that is stubborn and strong will. A lot can be said about a strong willed child. They've written books about it. Children that you have to deal with a little bit differently. Children that are uh, uh, at the 10th degree when it comes to the rebellious spirit that is present within all of us. But sometimes God has to wrestle with that rebellious part of us, that rebellious spirit. That's the God. That's what God wrestles with. He wrestles with your self will. He wrestles with that part of you that he wants to change. He wants to improve. He wants to bury that part of you. You see, Jacob had to be wounded for his transgressions. 
But I thank God that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgressions. Jesus Christ was wounded for the sins that I committed. Jesus Christ was wounded for that part of me that, that committed all types of spiritual debauchery. Jesus Christ died on my behalf. He was wounded for my transgressions, wounded for my sins. Amen. You see, for Jacob, the wounds that he experienced that night were the first piece of evidence that change had occurred. But for Christ and for us today, the wounds that he suffered on, on Calvary were proof of the victory. Look at John chapter 20, verse 27 through 28. It says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. You see, it took Thomas to realize the wounds that the victory had been won. That the victory over sin and death and hell had been achieved. And it came in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. There's something powerful about that name. There's something meaningful about that name. There's something significant about that name. When, when God changed Jacob, when he touched the hollow of his thigh, that's not where the blessing came from. Jacob was changed for the rest of his life. He would walk with a limp, but that's not where the blessing came from. The blessing came when God changed Jacob's name. The blessing came when God said, no longer will you be called deceiver, supplanter. No longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel, a prince with God, one with God. You will be called what I decide now to call you. Why? Because now I have the authority. You have given me in this wrestling match. You have given me the authority over your life. You have given me that opportunity to change not only your physical stature, but to change your name. When God asked Jacob, what is your name? It was an invitation for Jacob to confess his character. When God asked Jacob, what is your name? On the surface in the Bible, we read where Jacob simply responds, Jacob. My name is Jacob. However, a quick inventory. The meaning of the name Jacob gives us important insight into who Jacob was, and we know this. We know that Jacob means one who grasps the heel, deceiver, trickster, schemer. Jacob's answer, his answer contains a double meaning. This is my name, he says, and this is my character. This is who I am, and this is what I've done. You see, when we encounter God at that moment of conversion, what answer will we offer when God asks us, what is your name? When God invites you to confess that part of you that nobody knows. That part of you that nobody pays attention to, but he does. You didn't think God knew Jacob's name? He knew Jacob's name. But it was an invitation for Jacob to come to the realization of exactly who he was. He wasn't really a good guy. He wasn't the best. He wasn't, he wasn't the saint of all saints. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. And so are some of us. What name will we, will we say of ourselves when God asks us, what is your name? I believe there are some in here who would say and be honest that you will answer and say to God that I'm an abuser. I've been abused. I'm an addict. I'm an atheist. 
I'm a cheater, dispassionate. I'm a hater. I'm hated. I'm a liar, murderer, perpetrator, racist, skeptic, thief, victim, violator, violated, unforgiving, womanizer, sinner. This is who I am. I need a name. I need a name to replace those deep, dark recesses of who I am. I need a name to replace that part of me that is counter to God. You see, Jacob had to go through a process of change. Jacob had to go through the valley of instability when God touched the, the, the hollow of his thigh and changed his physical stature. He began to walk with that limp. It meant that he would walk in constant reminder of the change that took place on the night when Jacob saw the face of God. And I want us to understand today that the law of progress requires that we pass through the valley of instability. We've got to be willing to go through a fight. If we're going to be converted, if we're going to truly ask for God to deliver us, God's going to take us through the valley of instability. There are going to be some things in our life that's going to going to need to be shaken up. There's so many stories I can share with you and maybe you can share with me of people who have been converted and they leave the church and they leave after having an experience, after, after seeing the face of God, they leave church and then they begin to question what it was that they have experienced, what it was that they have encountered. And the reason they begin to question those things is because all hell seems to break loose in their life. They begin to doubt begin to get frustrated and say things like, if this is what it looks like to live for God, I don't want any part of it. What's happening in that moment? There's an instability that's occurring. There's a shaking up of the foundation that they once stood on. There are some friends now that are going to have to go away. There are some experience now that are going to have to go away. There are some lifestyle choices that are going to have to now go away. What is God doing? He's wrestling out. Those things that make you less like him so that he can give you a new name. You see, when confession happens, you got to get ready for a fight because that's how change comes. That's how change occurs. When Jacob asks God, what is your name? God responds, why do you ask my name? <laughs> why do you ask me my name? It's interesting that Moses asked the same question to God and God responded with, I am. He gave Moses an answer. But with Jacob, pay attention to this. With Jacob, he kept his name hidden. I begin to begin to pray and, and think on this and ponder. Why would God give one the answer and not the other? Could it be that in God's wisdom, he knew that Jacob did not possess the character to know his name? Jacob did not possess the character to know God's name. Because remember, I said earlier that for a person to know your name, it meant that you had authority with them. You had authority over them. You had discernment to be able to understand the significance of the name that was given. But with Jacob, God did not give him his name. He knew that Jacob did not possess the character. Jacob did not have the discernment to know God's name. What would, Jacob have, what would Jacob have done with God's name, being a deceiver, 
Up to this point, Jacob's name had not been changed. What would he have done knowing God's name? What, what scheme or plan would he have come, come up with in knowing God's plan? You see, I believe in God's wisdom. He knew Jacob couldn't, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the truth in that moment. He didn't have that discernment. And so God didn't give him the authority to know his name. I submit to you that if you want to know a deep revelation about God, if you want to know something and you're asking God, God, reveal something to me. Show unto me yourself. Show unto me your power. Show unto me the significance of who you are. Ask yourself, can your character handle what it is you are asking for? Can your character handle what God wants to reveal to you, would like to reveal to you? Can your character handle the truth? Or will, you, will your character cause the truth to go wasted in your life? Will your character cause the truth to go unheard in your life? Ask yourself first, God, change my character that I may know who you are. That I may know who you are. Throughout the Old Testament, God is known by various names to describe different aspects of his character. Each name of God is like a curtain revealing some aspect of who he is. Brother Floyd talked this morning about a few of them. And yes, I have those same names listed here. And I want to go through them just in a little bit of a different manner. You see, the first name we come across in the Bible is Elohim, used 2,500 times in the Old Testament, often used to substitute the Hebrew letter yud heh vav which has been come to known at become to known as Yahweh. It's used in combination with these letters and is often rendered the Lord God. But what it denotes is the the plurality, it denotes the plurality of God's character. It hints at the fact that God has the ability to be all that you need. God has the ability to be all that you need. We were sitting down one day at dinner and I looked at my boys. I had this, this name on my mind. I looked at my boys and I said, what is the name Elohim? What does that name mean? Of course, they didn't have an answer. So I gave them a few days to go and study, go look it up. And we talked about it in our conversation. Levi surprised me. He had a revelation. He said, you know, daddy, God is, Elo- is Elohim, but he is not an Elohim. God is Elohim, but he is not an Elohim. You see, Elohim was not just a name uh, used by Jews and Hebrews. It was a name that was also used by pagans. And what it used to refer to in the pagan sense was their plurality of gods. They had multiple gods and they just referred to them as Elohim. But see, in Levi's utterance, what he was confessing is that Jesus Christ is the Elohim. He is the God of all gods. He's just not one of the gods. He is the God, the one and the only. (laughs) Revelation from a seven-year-old. 
He is the Elohim. Jesus Christ is Elohim. Yahweh. Another name Brother Floyd talked about this morning. Jehovah Nisi. Moses built an, uh, an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi after the Israelites defeated the Amalekites. You see, Nisi means something lifted up, a standard, a pole bearing an insignia. You see, I needed Nisi when I found myself overwhelmed by depression, failure, and confusion. But Jesus Christ is Jehovah Nisi. Why? Because he was lifted up on that cross as our banner. He was lifted up on that pole as our banner. When they raised him up on Golgotha's hill, he became Jehovah Nisi. He embodied what it means to be Jehovah Nisi. He embodied what it means to be our banner, to be our victory. Yes. We can look to that banner. We can look to Calvary and say, thank God that he went to, to, to Golgotha's hill for me. Thank God that he shed his blood for me. Thank God that he stretched his arms across, amen, as far as the east is from the west. And he died for me, for my sins, for my transgressions. He became Jehovah Nissi yes. on Calvary. Psalm 64 says, thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. I want to go around telling anybody I can, look at what God has done for me. If you ever question about where I've been in life and, and how God has allowed me to overcome, look no further than the cross. It's because of the cross. It's because of his desire to see me saved, to see me redeemed, to see me uh, uh, saved and sanctified that he went to a cross. And he did the same thing for you. He became Jehovah Nisi when he went to Calvary. We call him Jehovah Jireh. Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh, which is commonly rendered the Lord will provide. But actually, Jireh means to be seen, to look at. And here's what I believe the Bible wants us to understand about this name. You see, he will see your need and then he will provide. He will see the disparity and then he will provide. He will see the lack and then he will provide. He will see your destitute situation and then he will provide. You see, he's got to see what's going on in your life before he can step into the role of provider. You don't provide just blindly. If your children are hungry, you see that they're hungry, and then you provide nourishment. Jesus Christ is the same way. He is Jehovah Jireh. That's why the psalmist said, I will praise him for the help of his countenance. Woo! Just because he sees me, when he turns to me and he looks at me, I am helped because he is provider. He will become my provider. Jesus Christ is Jehovah Jireh. We call him Jehovah Rapha. The first time God reveals himself as healer is to a terrified people who had just seen Egypt plagued by sickness and death. But he says, I will be your healer. I will be your healer in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. He says, I will be your healer. All those things that you just saw happen in Egypt, you ain't got to worry about that. You don't have to worry about boils and, 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 and bruises and, 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 and your cattle dying from disease. You don't have to worry about it. I will be your healer. I'm going to heal your body. I'm going to heal your soul. I'm going to heal your mind. I'm going to heal your land. I will be your healer. 
Jesus Christ is Jehovah Rapha. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He called the lame from their bed. He heals our emotions. He heals our physical ailments. He heals every and all manner of disease. But the one that I needed healing the most from is the sin disease. And he healed me of that as well. I needed Rapha when my baby boy experienced seizures or when my heart was broken after a miscarriage. I needed Rapha to come in and heal my heart, to heal my faithlessness, to heal me from my trouble. Jesus Christ stepped into that role and he became my Rapha. We call him Jehovah Shalom. A young and poor man by the name of Gideon is visited by an angel of the Lord who tells him not to fear, which is a an interesting declaration given the fact that at this time, that's all he could do was fear. As his land was under the control of the Midianites, he was poor, his family had nothing. And here in this encounter with an angel of the Lord, he says to him, do not fear. I am your peace, shalom. And I've preached on this before, means to destroy the authority connected with chaos and confusion. You see, I needed peace when the chaos of my family rose in like a flood and everybody begins to look to me for answers. Everybody begins to look for me for direction. My answer is always the same. Jesus is your answer. Jesus, I don't know. I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. Jesus Christ is Jehovah Shalom because the Bible says he is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. But can I tell you all of these names, all of these roles that he played, Jesus is the all-encompassing. The Bible says that there is no other name. Paul would write in Romans that righteousness that is built on faith says that the word is near you. What's that word? We know the word to be Jesus Christ. We know the word to be God incarnate. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 10 says this, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. What did they preach? They preached Jesus Christ and nothing else. What did they preach? Jesus Christ can save. He is the only one that can save. He is the only one that can heal. He is the only one that can mend. He is the only one that can do what he does. That's what they preached. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, when we utter the name Jesus, we are confessing with our mouths that God has become our salvation. God has become our salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 10 through 13, Paul uses five statements beginning with the same Greek word rendered F-O-R, for, in the English. In doing so, Paul relies on a literary style that draws the reader into an expected climactic revelation. These five statements explain how righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. For in the heart, 
it is believed. For, the scripture says, for there is no distinction. For the same Lord is Lord of all. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans chapter 10 verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe somebody today needs to understand the power and the significance of that name. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. When you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Why? Because that name is all powerful. That name is all encompassing. That name, you in that one name, it arose in Jehovah Shalom. It arose in Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. It's all in that one name. Thank God we don't have to go around. And I know there's power. We just went through it. We don't have to go around trying to pay alms and give credence and significance to every single designation. Jesus said, God said, you know what? That enough's enough. One name will suffice. One name will do it. Jesus is my name. If you want to know me as Jireh, just call me Jesus. If you want to know me as Nisi, just call me Jesus. If you want to know me as Rapha, just call on the name of Jesus and I will be your healer. I will be your healer. I will be everything that you need. You see, the circumstances leading to the revelation of Jesus' name, and I'm almost done. Jesus' name was uttered because humanity called out from dirt. Since the fall, every human soul has cried out from our dusty origin, Savior, save me. We all need a savior. And I'm not just talking about a savior for salvation. I'm looking at a church where many of us have been baptized in Jesus name. Many of us have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, but we think that the role of savior ends when those things happen. When you repent or baptize in Jesus name and are filled with the Holy Ghost, his role as savior doesn't end. Because there will come a time in your life where you will still need a savior, where you will still need a, 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 a refuge, a, a name to call when you're in need, a name to call when you don't know which way to turn, a name to call when your family is lost and confused, a name to call when your finances don't quite add up to what the bills equal. There is a name for your need. And that name is Jesus Christ. Psalm 42, 1 through 7. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep, and the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Now I know I could have summarized that, but I love reading the word of God. I love reading. When you when you when you get in there, you you just begin to see things stand out to you. And what I see in this scripture 
is a cry from a soul that is thirsty, a cry from a soul that is hungry. I see a cry from a soul just like I was, a soul who was lost and, 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 and wandering in the dark, reaching for any spot of light that I can find. And then I heard a voice say to me, Jesus is the name for your need. I heard a voice say to me, Jesus is the one that you're looking for. I heard a voice say to me, yeah, you're lost right now. You've been, you've been led astray by false doctrine, but Jesus is the name that you're looking for. I remember being in my dorm room. This was in uh, 2006 or so in the end of 2005, beginning of 2006. I remember being in my dorm room. I've been to church a few times and I remember praying. <laughs> Yahweh, if this is real, show me a sign. Give me a sign because you see there was such work done to undermine and demean the name of Jesus in that organization that we were a part of. There was so much false doctrine preached, so much, so eloquently moved through what I believe to be the Bible at that time to undermine the name of Jesus Christ. And so I find myself praying to that in that Old Testament name. If this is your name, if this is who you are, give me a sign. Can I tell you? Oh, my goodness. Almost 20 years later. Can I tell you that he answered? He answered that Old Testament name. Because the very next message that was preached and it came by way of a DVD. Pastor Huba, uh, Daniel Huba, our pastor's uncle, he brought the DVD to the church. He had just come back from a conference. And he popped in uh, Brother Jeff Arnold's message, life's three greatest words, I am persuaded. As if the Holy Ghost was saying, look no further. <laughs> you need to be persuaded about what you're getting ready to hear. And I've never looked back. That message was my saving grace, was, the, was, the, was God's grace in my life that brought me to the truth. You've been confused so far. You've been wandering in the, in the dark so far. Look no further. Jesus is the name. Jesus is the name that your soul is crying out for. If you find yourself in here today, looking for a name, looking for somebody to call in the time of need. I have a name for your need. That name is Jesus. From the depths of my soul, I long to know the depths of who he is. And his name is Jesus. Let's all stand today. The greatest need declared by humanity is that of salvation. No, it's not your finances. No, it's not food on your table. It's not even a house, believe it or not. The greatest need for all of humanity is salvation. You build your house. God provides. You build a safe place from your, for your family as God provides. But that house that you're building here 
is temporal. That house that you're building here won't last. That house that you're building here will not be in heaven. <laughs> will not be in eternity. But your soul will find refuge and your soul will find a dwelling place somewhere. That name given to us according to his word for salvation is Jesus' name. God asked Jacob, why do you ask my name? God asks us, what will you ask in my name? You have the name, people of God. What will you ask in his name? With our mouths, we confess his name. Through water baptism, our sins are washed away in his name. Through the Holy Ghost baptism, we take on his name and are sealed with his name. I want to open up these altars today. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, praise God. But I want to open it up for those who would be honest today and say, yeah, I've got another need. I've got another need that only Jesus Christ can answer. We've got some ministers. We're going to pray with you. We're going to pray for you. But I want to open this up. If there's somebody here today that you know that there's a need that only God can answer. You've tried to call Uncle Sam. You've tried to call DHHS, Department of Health and Human Services. You've tried to call DSS, but you ain't called Jesus' name yet. the name for your need. Praise God. Mm. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Mm. God, I thank you for that name. For that name. It's the name that's above every name. It's a name that you thought us worthy to know. It's a name that you thought would encapsulate everything, all that you are. You are our provider. You are our way maker. You are our healer. You are our banner. You are our peace. It's a name that is above every name. Every name sanctioned by you. Every name believed on in the secular world. It's a name that is above every single name. We thank you for that name, God. We thank you for the power of that name. We thank you for the fact that we can call that name in whatever situation we find ourselves in. When we're broken, we can speak Jesus. When we're hurting, we can call on Jesus. When we're lost, we can call on Jesus. I thank you for that name. I honor you for that name.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 